0: Imagine why. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are crucified, risen, reigning, coming again, Redeemer. Thank you, Father, for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the confirmation students just gave their testimony, all four of them, uh, each in their own way, each a different testimony about how uh, Jesus Christ is a part of their lives is uh, not just a part of their lives, but is Savior and Lord over their lives. And that's an exciting thing. My own testimony has uh, kind of a spike in it from my confirmation days. I've told this story a couple times before, but it was a Good Friday, um, night that Jesus died on the cross. I was a confirmation student who got to put the candles out for that service, so I was sitting up front. And at the end of the service, the pastor came out and put a piece of black cloth over the brass cross, that hung from the ceiling above the altar in that church and when he put the black cross on the black uh, covering on the cross all of a sudden i felt conviction for my sin i realized jesus had to die because of me because of my sin and that conviction came on me and that was a, a huge moment one of those big steps for me in my relationship with the lord so confirmation times is is a sweet time for me and um i've I, Just rejoice to hear testimony from these students that uh, they're growing in Christ as well. It's a pretty timely fashion for us then in this part of 1 Timothy. It's Paul's letter back to his uh, beloved protege, uh, student. Uh, Timothy got saved under Paul's ministry years before. And uh, Paul left him behind. When Paul left Ephesus, he left Timothy behind to be the pastor there. So that's what this letter to Timothy is about. In this portion of the letter, Paul's going to share his testimony with Timothy. So it really goes to well with today's uh, special occasion, right? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to pick it up at verse 12. <clears throat> Paul writes here, and he's writing to Timothy. He says, "...I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service... Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Now, Paul loves to do things in threes. When you're reading through his letters, he often gives uh, things, uh, he expands them. He can't just say one thing. He's got to do it three different ways to cover all the bases, right? He does that here. Why is Paul so blessed that God has called him to be a minister, an evangelist, a pastor himself? It's because of Paul's background. His life was, well, he was trying to follow God, but he was these things, three things. He says, Formerly, I was a blasphemer. Paul used to tell people that Jesus was not the Messiah, he was not the Savior, and he was not the Son of God. That's blasphemy. And he was adamant about that, he was vocal about it, and he'd tell anybody who came across his way that, that, that he thought that was the truth. Jesus is not the Messiah, not the Savior not the Son of God. So he says, I was a blasphemer, but God called and appointed me to to be a minister. What else was he? He was a persecutor. Paul actually made it his uh, life's um, quest at that time to pursue Christians and to arrest them, throw them in prison, harass them, try and make them deny Christ. Uh, He was a, a terrible persecutor. And then that goes into the third one, an insolent opponent it's kind of hard to translate that into English. Um, violence is a part of that. Paul is talking about he not only arrested Christians and persecuted them, threw them in jail, but sometimes he participated in their stoning. He participated and gave permission, approval to have people stoned who were Jews, like Stephen, right? And in, in Acts, it talks about that very thing. Stephen was a Jew. He stood up for Jesus as Messiah. A bunch of unbelieving Jews surrounded him and Paul was there and he gave permission as a high-ranking Pharisee, he gave permission to stone Stephen to death because he believed in Jesus. Now, is that the kind of guy you think God should recruit to be an evangelist and a pastor and a missionary in the Christian church? That's kind of the opposite of what we're looking for, don't you think? But God knew Paul's heart. He knew that Paul... Wanted to please God and serve God, even in aggressive ways. He wanted to give his whole life in service to God. He just had blind eyes about who Jesus really was. So let's go back to this opening here in verse 12. Now that we know the background here about Paul. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because Jesus judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Now, I don't know what your life is like right now. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you're at with God and what you think about Jesus. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how far away from God you are. I don't care how how nasty your thoughts are about Jesus or how unbelieving or, or persecutorial they might be. Jesus is here. He loves you. And he's trying to draw you to him for salvation, for forgiveness, and for a life of purpose that he has waiting for you, just like he did for Paul. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? You might have come in here this morning kicking and screaming and and dragging your feet. Somebody made you because it's a family thing. You're like, the last thing I want to do is sit through a sermon, yada, yada. Sorry, you're stuck with it. But here's the deal. Jesus loves you with a passion. And no matter how badly you don't want to be here this morning, he wants to meet you this morning. And he would love to change your life, like he did Paul. So here's what Paul says. Middle of verse 13. He says, But I received mercy. Everybody say, Glory. Glory. You know what mercy is? There's two different aspects of God's love. This aspect of God's love, mercy, is when you, ought, you and I ought to be punished for our sins. And our failures and the terrible things we've thought and said and done. We ought to be punished. When God doesn't punish us the way we deserve to be punished, that's mercy. Everybody say, I'm really thankful for mercy. Whew, every day I'm thankful for mercy. You know how often the Bible says God gives you mercy? The Bible says, every morning God gives you fresh new mercies. You say, you mean every day I mess up and I need, I need mercy? Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the case. So he says, I received mercy. Here's why. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, holy smokes. Ignorance is not, is not being IQ short or being stupid. Ignorance is, I'm just, nobody's ever told me. I'm, I'm unaware. So ignorance is just not having had an opportunity to hear about the truth, right? Is our world and our country going bananas berserko off a cliff through ignorance? It's on display in the media every single day. And I say because they don't know the truth. They don't know Jesus, and they don't know the Word. And uh, sometimes they're staring in the face of science and ignoring that too. But ignorance is all around us. So this is really a timely word for today. Paul says, I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. I didn't know. I didn't realize Jesus was truly Messiah. I didn't realize he was actually the Son of God. I didn't know his resurrection was real and he was true. I I didn't know. And because I was acting ignorantly in unbelief, God gave me mercy. And then verse 14, he says, and the grace, that's the other kind of God's love. That's God's love, or even though you don't deserve it, he loves you anyway. Everybody say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he gets mercy and grace. Verse 14 says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. This is something, if you don't know this about God, you need to learn this about God right now. God doesn't just love you enough to squeeze you through the gates. Okay? He doesn't love you enough. He doesn't give you just enough strength, just enough grace to get through life. God is a lavish God. He pours His love upon us. He pours mercy on us. He pours grace on us. He pours the power of the Holy Spirit on us. He's got resurrection power. Christ is risen. He, is risen he pours that out too. He doesn't give you just enough to squeeze by. He always gives lavish, wonderful, over-the-top amounts. What does Paul say here? He says, The Lord overflowed grace to me, for, with, for me, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, a person sent emails to me, and their, their signature at the bottom was, I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup is overflowing. Isn't that the coolest thing? This is life in Christ. I'm always drinking from the saucer because it keeps pouring so much in my cup, it overflows all the time. And we say, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The saying is trustworthy, he says in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Ah, we all get that finger point, right? To save sinners of who I am the foremost. Paul says, I look around and we, we all try to measure our own sin and measure other people's sin, right? Usually we're trying to say, that person's a way worse sinner than I am, so I feel pretty good about me. Paul says, I look at my life and I was a terrible sinner. I was taking Christians and, and throwing them in jail and I was approving their being killed by stoning. I was blaspheming Jesus. He says, I was one of the most terrible sinners you can imagine. He says, but God saved me. And here's why. He says, this is a good it's a, a saying, trustworthy, full of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost among sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So here's the deal. I want to make this really clear. Paul was a messed up sinner and Jesus saved him. You know what he spent the rest of his life doing? Telling people how he was a messed up sinner and Jesus saved him. What do we do with our weaknesses and our failings and our our terrible history before Jesus? We tend to what? Keep it on the down low. We keep it secret? Keep silent about it? No, 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 no. Every single one of us in this room, including yours truly, has weakness and sin and failing. Who do we need to be telling about that? God's bringing people into your life. Somebody needs to know not just about where you were and what you were and what you've done, but they need to hear that testimony because why? That makes the love of God for you that much more amazing. And it makes it encouraging for people who maybe think God can't love me. I'm one of the foremost of sinners. I'm so messed up, God could never love me. You need to share your testimony with them like Paul's doing here you need to let him know he loves you the power of his sacrifice on the cross it's even powerful enough for you he can forgive you he can save you he does it every day share that testimony I received mercy for this reason that in me is the foremost sinner Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience Gotta love that. You've been praying for somebody who's been running from God for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? I don't know. How patient is God? He's perfectly patient. What if they're 85 and on their deathbed, and, and that's when they finally give up their pride and everything else and say yes to Jesus? God okay with that? He would have preferred that they walked their whole life with him, but he's patient. You're here today, maybe you've been running from God for a long time. He's patient, He's waiting on you. Let today be the day. Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. What did Jesus come to do? To save sinners? To save sinners for what? For eternal life. Say with me, Jesus came to save sinners for eternal life. That, my friends, is the gospel. It's a wonderful word which means what? Conformance. I didn't tell them there was going to be a quiz today. Gospel means good news. Good news right there. Jesus came to save sinners so they might believe in him for eternal life. That's the gospel. Now, verse 17. When you're reading Paul's letters... He'll be writing stuff about Jesus, writing stuff about God, and every now and then he'll stop right in the middle of it and just go, "Hallelujah, praise the Lord!" I call it "stop, drop, and praise." <laughs> and this is what he's doing in verse 17. So he's talking about Jesus came to save sinners. Isn't that a cool thing? And he's really, really patient. He was patient with me. And he's patient with everybody. And then when he brings you to salvation, he helps you to believe in him. And it's for eternal life. It's not just for a better life now. It's for eternal life forever. And so he's in the middle of that. He has to stop dropping praise. And he goes, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Woo! Do you want to stop dropping praise right now? Go ahead and say glory. glory. Wow. To the king of the ages, we've got to give praise. So he steps back from the praise moment, and he says, verse 18, This charge, this command, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may say with me, wage the good warfare. You may may have heard it say, fight the good fight. This is the same exact kind of phrasing. Wage the good warfare. Now, a good soldier, is is he only a good soldier when the battle is raging? He's also a good soldier in between times. He's obeying his commander's orders. He's hopping to it. He's getting the job done. He's serving the guys around him. He's being a a good buddy uh, in the platoon or whatever. Every day is a day for a, 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 a servant, a soldier to be ready to wage the good warfare, even if it's not in face-to-face battle. But he says, Heads up, Timothy, I give you this command, that you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. So we don't talk about conscience much. It's, really, it's, it's a hard thing for me to grasp sometimes. But a conscience is what God has given every human being. And it's that thing within us where by, the God, by God's help and his will, we come to have an understanding and a feeling and a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. Okay? So my conscience is doing well when I, when I know that I'm doing the right and good thing. And when I do the wrong thing or think the wrong thing or I'm planning to go the wrong direction and I get that icky feeling in here, that's my conscience saying, whoops, let's not do this. You're going the wrong way. Paul says we have to be careful with our conscience. Because if I choose to go against my conscience one day, well, that's sin, right? But if I choose to do that the second day and the third day and the fourth day, Paul says you can do that so many times that you can sear your conscience. Now, we like to sear something on the grill coming up this season, right? What do we sear on the grill? We sear our steaks, our burgers. We sear them, we burn them, right? It burns the juices in, burns the flavor in. Just burn the surface, but that's searing. Paul says, if you keep on going against your conscience that God gave to you, you keep on going against your conscience over and over, he says, you can sear your conscience, you can burn it. Then that's a scary place to be. Because who can heal a seared conscience? Who can fix that? Only the Lord Jesus Christ can fix that. It's hard to come back to Jesus when our conscience gets seared. So he says... make sure you keep on waging the good warfare. He says, you've got to hold on to faith. And he says, you've got to watch and take care of your conscience. Keep it a good, clean conscience. So every confirmation sermon, I try and give a prop to the kids to help remember the sermon. So here's your prop today. They're grippy gloves. Because you're supposed to hold on to faith you can pop the thing and try them on even the grippy stick, they only had one size so just put them on so confirmation is a cool thing right you've only just started begun to get your gifts and your presents your cards and money and it's a good day say amen right it's a good day. Is this the mountaintop of your walk with Jesus? Are you never going to go higher with the Lord? Are you done learning? Got everything you need to know in your brain about Jesus? This is a, it's a marker. It's a milestone. It's a mountaintop. It ain't Mount Everest. It's not the highest. And uh, these are challenging times for faith. You know that. Amen? Okay. So, Paul's letter to Timothy, it works for you guys today. I'm telling you, hold on. You've got to keep on waging the good warfare. You've got to fight the good fight. Your parents can't do it for you. They can help you. They can be alongside you. You're only going to be home for three or four more years, and then you're out on your own. You've got to fight the good fight. You've got to hold on to faith. Hold on to the king of the ages. You've got to hold on to him. And you need to protect your conscience. Don't let people or peers or so-called friends tempt you into stuff that you know that your conscience and your mind and the scriptures, you know it's wrong. Don't, don't go there. And if you, if you should fall, what do you need to do? You need to confess and repent and come right back to the Lord and say no the next time. You can't let your conscience choose against your conscience day after day after day. Because Paul's going to tell us next what's in danger with that. I'm not just talking to the kids, right? You're all listening, amen? But Here's what Paul says the danger is if we don't take good care of our conscience. Holding faith and good conscience, middle of verse 19, by rejecting this good conscience, by letting it be seared and destroyed, some have made what of their faith? Shipwreck of their faith among whom are he names two men, among whom are Himnaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What does he mean by that? What he means is, I have removed them from the congregation and discipline to let them know, you're so messed up, you're so full of sin, you've so turned your back on God, that you are not welcome in this place until you confess and repent and come back to Christ. He says, I had to turn them... I had to turn them over to no longer being supported in the congregation because of their turning against Christ so that they might repent and come back. So their lives, their salvation, their eternity is in danger. And I had to do this to wake them up to repentance and bring them back. So this is, this is a clear and kind of a sobering, maybe scary warning for us today. I needed to hear this this week. I needed to go deep on what is this conscience thing, God, you're talking about. Why do I need to be careful to be a good caretaker of it? What are the consequences if I don't? Shipwreck is a scary consequence. So I give you the gloves just as a physical thing to show you. You've got to hang on to Jesus. Um, I don't know what your future life entails. There's going to be great days. There's going to be rotten days. There's going to be temptations like you have not yet known. There's going to be pressure and persecution like you have not yet experienced. You've got to hold on. The grippy gloves, they're super good for grabbing onto stuff and hanging on. I'm just saying, in your heart and your mind and in your will, you've got to hang on to Jesus. Okay? Okay. Love you to pieces. Hang on to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful letter from Paul showing us that uh, anybody and everybody here this morning, no matter how messed up their lives might be, no matter how much they've rejected Jesus, even spoken against him in public, uh, you are welcome to know Jesus now, to confess your sin, to be forgiven and saved for eternal life because that's why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. I'm one of them. This room is full of them. In fact, every single person here is a sinner that needs Jesus. Thank you, Father. God, we thank you for this good warning about how we need to, we need to hang on to Jesus with grippy gloves. We need to be careful to hang on and, and be careful to caretake our conscience. So God, um, some of us are sitting here this morning and we're thinking, oh, shoot. I've been acting against my conscience. I maybe think it's even been seared. And I'm just hearing this this morning and realizing what a mess I've made of it. I'm telling you right now, if that's you, you come to Jesus right now. You come to the foot of the cross and you get on your knees. You say, Jesus, I've messed it up so bad. I'm just like the Apostle Paul. And I really need mercy. And I really need grace. And I really need the perfect, innocent blood you're shedding on this cross. I need it to come on my life. I need forgiveness really desperately. I need cleansing. I need payment. I can't do it myself. It's got to be you. So Jesus, forgive me. Save me. Give me eternal life. Give me a new, fresh, clean conscience because I can't fix it myself. Thank you, Jesus. There's no God like you. Paul said that too. King of the ages, the only God. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, mighty God. I'll bring you back in. Give me a great big bear hug and never let go. I'm going to hang on to you with grippy gloves, Jesus. Thank you for hanging on to me. Thank you for being patient with me. Jesus, in your precious name. Thank you, Lord. All God's people said, amen. Okay, we're coming to communion now. And we have lots of wonderful guests with us today, so I just want to be clear, okay? This meal is for people who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And it's for people who understand that they have sin and it's a problem. So there's two kinds of people who should not come to communion today. If you don't believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you should not come up here, because that will add to your sin. If you believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, but you're happy in your sin, and you're searing your conscience and you don't care, then you should not come up here because this will add to your sin. The Bible's clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can read about it. Okay? So everybody, everybody who believes and feels badly about their sin and wants to be forgiven, this is where you belong. Okay? Say uh, glory to God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, gave it to all his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me from your heart in the Lord's prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen. Kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord welcomes you to his table. Awful lot of power to love people like us, to pay for the load of sin, to give us life eternal in the presence of a holy God. What kind of power can do such a thing? Christ is risen. That kind of power can do it. I bless you now with the blessing God gave to Moses to give to his people, to Aaron to give to his people. May the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and keep you in his perfect peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.